and welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Brewing with Conviction. This is Chris Martin, your host, and I'm joined tonight again by George and Jesus, co-hosting to cover our Ikoria spoilers. We had a, a jam-packed week. Uh, George, Jesus, welcome back. Thanks for having us. Thanks, man. So we've got a we've got an agenda. We'll we'll likely stay right around the hour time frame. We've you know done some nice prep work for this agenda, so I think we've got a nice little layout here. But just to review it, just to set the tone for what you'll be listening to tonight, we've got EDH reviews. Uh, Jesus and I are going to each share one of our favorite commanders coming out of Ikoria and just talk a little bit about the impact that the two cards that we chose are going to have with regard to EDH. These are going to be two of the cards that we think are going to end up being the top choices out of Aquarius. So what I mean by that is from a, a popularity standpoint, um, you know, a lot of people use EDH rec as a measurement. Um, you could use that number. You could really just kind of gauge it by your, your own individual play groups. But I think both of these cards that we're going to talk about tonight are in fact going to be one of one and two of maybe the top three or four total out of Aquaria. There were a lot of options to sift through, so it wasn't easy to choose, uh, but we'll get into that. We're going to turn it over to George after that to talk about the limited uh, format in Aquaria, just kind of what he's thinking is going to stand out. So give a couple of cards for limited purposes. George has a ton of experience in limited from uh, playing the playing days uh, years ago, and he got back into it recently with Modern Horizons. He was a top 100 player uh, several years back as a limited player. So he's going to be sharing some thoughts on that. And then we're going to dive into a little bit of a finance review on just uh, the idea of wa wallet fatigue and sensory overload with regard to spoilers. Just talk a little bit about our reactions to that and um, some thoughts on that. And, and I'm going to share a couple of my thoughts anyway on how I just sort of dealt through that the last eight to 10 days. And then finally, we're going to wrap it up with some predictions with regard to Ikoria itself as a set, given the coronavirus impact. So we we all have some different, maybe not different, but uh, some opinions on what we think is going to happen with, regarding the paper format and the impact that may have to the value of the cards. And so we'll talk about that to wrap things up. So Jesus, let's, uh, let's dive into the EDH review. We're going to probably spend about seven to ten minutes on each of these two legends i'll go ahead and reveal mine first and we can bounce a couple thoughts that we talked about precast so the the deck that i'm most excited about both to brew as a as an is it player and that's a huge hint i think to a lot of folks listening but um is real i i'm very excited about real the everwise and i think from you know just a staying power standpoint while Riel does a lot of the same things that we're used to from is it, you know, drawing, casting instants and sorceries, the, the unique take on Riel is that she actually benefits from discarding. And discarding is one of those features in Magic that's always found ways to be broken in, in basically every format. But in Commander, there's not a ton of discard mechanics on actual generals. So I think her ability is very unique. And, and so just to read what she does, she's one red, one blue, and one generic. She's a zero three legendary human wizard. She gets plus one plus O oh for each instant and sorcery in your graveyard. And whenever you discard one or more cards for the first time on each turn, so your opponent's turns matter here, draw that many cards. I brewed up a deck and wrote an article about Riel the day after she was spoiled. Uh, and, and just really kind of put a deck list together that was a, a preliminary take. I actually went in and updated it precast so that I could feel pretty confident about where I think this deck list might uh, go as you brew a real, uh, brew around a real deck in EDH. 
And as I started looking at some of the cards, there's some that I want to talk about tonight. But I'm going to turn it over to you. What's 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 your take on Real? Um, how do I say this? I think she's a much more interesting commander than uh, like the Niv Mizzet Perun, which is kind of the go-to is it commander right now. Although because Niv Mizzet's all about oh let me just draw a ton of cards, play a ton of wheels, and then burn you directly. With her, you kind of care about the timing on when everything happens, and also what's actually in your graveyard due to her getting stronger with instants and sorceries. So you've got a few different routes you can take her on. You can go the route that, uh, well, you can go some of the routes that we were talking about earlier, much like um, the I want to do like a combo wheel, just no breaks on the hype train, keep going until they're dead, uh, and constantly wheeling, constantly discarding, and just draw through your entire deck. And then there was how you mentioned you can go an unblockable package for a pseudo Voltron build and stuff like that. Yeah, that was, you know, that's that's an element. I'm glad you touched on Voltron here too, because the the thing that's really exciting about Riel to me is there are a couple different ways you can brew around Riel and and I think have some success and, and enjoy the strategy. Uh, I actually, with my list, it, it primarily centers around winning with things like Thassa's Oracle and Jace Wielder of Mysteries, where you're effectively just drawing through your deck and then, you know, at the end of it, making a point to cast one of those to win the game without a library. But the sub-theme in the deck, there's two different other alternative ways to win. One is certainly just Voltron, Voltron which is commander damage. Uh, buffing up Riel and, and attacking with unblockable spells like Distortion Strike or um, Slip Through Space. Those are kind of a sub-theme in the deck as a whole, but they are certainly viable, especially later in the game, if you're finding ways to maybe take out one opponent, but you need to close out the game by taking out uh, a second or a third opponent. And then there's a couple other sub-win cons, which I put into the deck uh, primarily, I think I think actually one of the other wing cons that really could be very potent, and I haven't play tested this yet, but I think one of the other wing cons is going to be milling your opponents. So I've got three different ways to do that. You've got Jesus, Arasher, Psychic Corrosion, and Sphinx's Tutelage. All three of the of those are enchantments that basically say when you draw a card, either a target opponent or each opponent, depending on the card you're talking about, mills two. And so if you get one or even more than one of those on the field while you're doing uh, various discard to draw off of Riel's ability, you actually can, can chew through an opponent's deck pretty consistently. The one challenge of this deck that I found so far uh, along those same lines is having a consistent win time. In other words, there's a lot of different ways to win, but whether you can actually pull off one of them consistently is probably the biggest challenge. The deck can be grindy, but it also runs out of steam. And, and actually, you can mill yourself pretty easily without actually winning, because if you mill Thassa's Oracle or Jace Wielder of Mysteries with one of your discard spells, then you're you know kind of in trouble there. there. One thing I probably should add to the deck that I don't have in my list today is something to shuffle the library, like an Eldrazi Titan that can keep going back in. Um, but anyway, that's sort of the, the early list that I've got. I want to talk about a couple of auto includes for Real that I, I we've we've identified some of these through the community here at Conviction Gaming in the Discord right after Real was spoiled. Actually, several of these cards were announced, and 
Um, we, as we've been brewing throughout the week, a few more were announced or uh, identified and mentioned by various members in the community. The first one I want to start with was actually, it was just pointed out by one of our members, Nyla Tap. sorry, I always butcher your name, Nyla. Um, Nyla called out turbulent, turbulent Dreams, which I have in my list. I had it in there uh, after brewing, but I've kind of just been sleeping on that card from a speculative finance standpoint. I, I actually see Turbulent Dreams not only being an auto include in the list, but being a potentially very good spec if you're uh, looking to pick up what I think is right now just kind of a penny stock. You can get copies of this for 30 to 50 cents. It's a, a single print from Torment and it, it's too blue to cast. It's a sorcery and it says as an additional cost to play it, you discard X cards from your hand and then you return up to X target. It's not up to, sorry. You just return X target non-land permanents to their owner's hands. So for two mana, you can theoretically discard your entire hand on your turn for two mana and, and return seven non-land permanents. That's great in this deck if you're going the Voltron route because it's going to allow you to open up the board state to get in some good commander damage. It's also just really good for general control purposes. It slows your opponents down and for two mana, to be able to discard cards is what you want to do if you have Riel on the field. Um, and, and to be able to take out numerous opponents, uh, big threats for two mana is, is just really good. It's not gonna kill them, but it's gonna bounce them to the hand. So it's gonna delay your opponents for at least a turn. So Turbulent Dreams, I really like that card. I think, uh, speculatively speaking, definitely keep an eye on that and go out and look for those. Uh, they're, they're the foils and, and non, I think non-foils look more attractive. Foils looks like they've already kind of sold out since Riel was spoiled. There's not a ton of those available, but the non-foils are, are still a penny pick. Um, moving on to the next card that was called out in Conviction Gaming, uh, the actually same day it was spoiled by one of our members, Pride, is Firestorm. It's a reserve list card, reads one mountain mana. It's an instant, which is huge in this deck, and I'll get to that in a second. And it, its ability is choose and discard X cards. Firestorm deals X damage to each of the X target creatures and or players. So this card is insanely good in this deck. First of all, the fact that it's an instant is huge in Real as a whole. You want a lot of instants that allow you to discard on your opponent's turns, because as I kind of emphasized when I was reading her abilities, her, her discard ability allows you to draw the first time you discard on each turn. And so with a card like Firestorm, you can cast it at the end step of the of the player playing ahead of you. And before you come into your untap, you're, you're basically going to hit to the face for however much damage you have stored up if you've got seven cards in hand or, or theoretically more, even if you have like a reliquary tower on the field, you're gonna be able to hit that. And, and the key is that it's also to X target creatures of players. So let's say you discard seven, you discard your whole hand for one mana at the end step, you're able to deal seven damage to seven targets. That's, that's insane for one mana. The rates on this card are ridiculous. And this one's already spiked a little bit. I think it has a lot more room to run. If you find copies of this that are lightly played or better for $5 or less, which may be very hard to do at this point, but if you can find those in any way, shape, or form, definitely pick those up. I think Firestorm's going to be a $10 plus card if it's lightly played or better. And I can actually confidently say that because I've actually been selling high, heavily played copies of this for $5 and all the way up to $6 the last couple of days. So... That one's moving. Keep an eye on that for if you have those, get those out of your bulk. Um, it was a reserve list card, so, uh, and it's from Weatherlight, so it's a little bit of an older card in that regard as well. Okay, taking a breather, last card here. 
that I really, really like for uh, Real is another pseudo penny pick. And I called this one in Conviction Game. I put it in our actual book purchasing. Um, I actually really endorsed it. It wasn't me that found this card. It was one of our members, Neo, Neo Robin, uh, who called this card out, which is Forbid. It's two blue and a generic mana, and it's an instant, and it, all it says is counter target spell, which which at face value, three mana to a counter spell is, is pretty generic these days. But the key is that Forbid has buyback, and its ability is choose and discard two cards to buy it back, which means that as you cast it for three mana, if you discard two cards while you're casting the three mana, you can put Forbid back into your hand rather than putting it into the graveyard. So it's a recurrable counterspell in this deck, which also, if you're casting it for the first time and discarding on an opponent's turn, you actually discard two cards and you get two draws and you get Forbid back. The card the card basically cycles itself and it's a continuous counterspell that is, I think, in this deck going to be a cornerstone of the control pieces. Um, so that's another card. It's from Exodus. It's it's only got a single printing in terms of standard sets. Uh, uh, standard sets meaning like the, the block sets. It does have a judge's promo and a masterpiece. And I think any of those are reasonable cards to pick up uh, depending on your price points. Given the coronavirus impacts, this one may take a little bit longer to mature. Um, but Forbid as a just a standard non-foil from Exodus, if you can find those under a dollar, great pickup, lightly played or better. Uh, the judges' foils have moved a little bit already, but um, there were copies on Card Kingdom actually at $8.79 for the judges' pro promo. I'm sorry, I said judges. It's an FNM promo. Uh, those are gone. I've been monitoring it. Those actually sold, but uh, the judge promo, or the, gosh, I keep saying that, the FNM promo now is in the low to mid-teens. And I think that might have a little bit of room to run up until the low $20 range. So that's another one. That's another core card to keep an eye on. Okay, that was a lot of information about Riel. Uh, Jesus, did I, any, anything I missed on, on Riel before I turn it over to you to, to talk about your commander of choice? Um, Nothing that I can think of. You just kind of, you covered all the bases there. I mean, especially considering you're the Niv-Mizzet player, you kind of know more about this than uh, I would. Yeah, this is this is definitely my wheelhouse. It was it was a card that I, as soon as Real was spoiled, I was so hyped about it. So, as you know, <laughs> so all right. Well, Jesus, I'll turn it over to you to talk about your favorite commander from the set. From and and just to clarify for everyone, we're talking about commanders from Ikoria specifically. We're not covering Commander 2020 in this cast. We will cover that separately in another cast. So stay tuned for that. They'll both be posted pretty uh, pretty close together. So. Um, yeah. Uh, and then the commander that has me super excited due to his insane flexibility is Keenan Bonder Prodigy. So for those unfamiliar, he's a, well, a green and a blue for a 2-2 legendary human druid. Whenever you tap a non-land permanent for mana, add one mana of any type that permanent can produce. Oh, that permanent produced. Uh, and then you can pay five, a green and a blue, to look at the top five cards of your library. You may put a non-human creature card from among them onto the battlefield and put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So there are several reasons why I'm excited about this guy. I think um, I could be wrong, considering everyone uh, is already kind of raving over Riel. But I think he has potential for slow growth, similar to Tesa. Um, and the reason for that is because he kind of strikes all the right chords. 
He has an infinite combo with Basalt Monolith, so you can tap Basalt Monolith for three mana. Keenan Triggers, which will give you an, one extra colorless mana, so then you pay three mana to, mana to untap. So you're net positive one mana, and you can and one of the combo pieces is in your command zone. So this makes it super good for CEDH, and you can just kind of combo off and do whatever. If you can find a way to filter for colored mana, then there you go. You have infinite triggers of Keenan to just drop your entire deck onto the well onto the table and win the game. But with that secondary ability, well, with those two abilities, uh, he also has a lot of uh, push towards casual play. Um, you mentioned it on your Twitter how druids really like to tap for mana, uh, and I think that's a big thing here. You run things like Llanowar Elves or all the different versions of Llanowar Elves. Um, the uh, Pixie from Eldraine, which can tap for a blue or a green, uh, Birds of Paradise, run all these little mana dorks. Uh, ramp like crazy, so then you can either hard cast big creatures like Vorinclex, Jingataxis, uh, Eldrazi Titans, or you can just activate Keenan a bunch of times, so then that way you can dump those massive creatures onto the battlefield directly during someone's end step. Uh, he's just really big, and I don't know any specific cards that will be moving because of him other than Basalt Monolith, but I think that's also somewhat of a good thing, simply because that shows that he's extremely flexible. You can build around him um, you can build around him like crazy, and you he's one of those commanders where every brew of him will be different, and you will see that. Because it's just, at that point, it's just, hey, what big dumb creatures can I drop? Do I want to go for combo finishes by digging for a bunch of small combo creatures like Pillapala combo to really then start going off on the races? Or do I just want to drop a, a Blightsteel Colossus and end someone's day? One of the things I like about Keenan is... Uh... Or Kinnan, I guess it's probably Kinnan is the pronunciation. Uh, the fact that it brings Seton back into the conversation actually makes me think Seton might be reasonably actionable. To be honest with you, Seton is a single print from Odyssey, and Seton is one of those cards that I actually have a Seton EDH deck, and it's one of my favorite decks. It's not very competitive, but it's a ton of fun to play. To be able to add blue into that mix and kind of just convert that into a Simic deck makes it incredibly powerful. You you could argue that this deck is going to make some waves in CEDH. I think there's already been some discussions about that. Just for the simple fact that on turn three, you can untap, like you said, with on, on uh, infinite mana combo. So I think Kinnan uh, is going to actually be really interesting. You mentioned Tesa as a comparison. I I, Jesus, we were kind of debating this before, and I'll just I'll put my side of this out there, just you know, to kind of play devil's advocate. The one thing I worry about with Kinnan is uh, compared to Tesa, it is Kinnan to me feels like it's it's going to be solvable, where there will be an optimized list, and once it's optimized, kind of like Vanifar, for actually Vanifar from the same set as Tesa, Ravnica Allegiance, but Vanifar had a lot of hype out of the gates, and then once they the, they being brewers in general solved Vanifar and realized what the best lines to play for in the optimal deck were. It kind of fell off. It didn't. It it didn't have a lot of staying power. I do think Kinnan will have more staying power than that because of the tribal nature of druids and just kind of the casual effect that it has. But I, I am not as uh, I don't know. I'll use the term bullish on the idea that it'll be Tesa levels of good. 
uh, I do think it'll be very, very good. <laughs> that being said, I just don't. Chaso was kind of a unique, uh, very, very like powerful card in terms of what it did both for EDH, for Orzov players, and also from like a secondary market finance perspective. There's not many cards that I can remember that had that kind of impact. So we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm excited to kind of see how that plays out and see which one of us ends up, you know, uh, being closer to the right answer there. Yeah, I mean, I can see what you're talking about with the Vanifar effect. Um, but I just, where Vanifar had... Vanifar directly tutored through the deck, which was, I think, the big thing that killed her. Um, she looked for a specific piece as you climbed through, which ended up making her a birthing pot on a stick that was easier to break. That's a great point. Yeah. So I think Kennen has much more flexibility in the sense that you don't look for a specific piece, and you're going to have to deal with very awkward lines of play if you don't get what you want. Um, I think it's more akin to how she played, well, how um, Selvala, Mono Green Selvala will play, where you play a bunch of things, try to get your triggers off, and fill your board with, well, with a bunch of big creatures. And if you're stuck in an awkward line, well, if you're stuck with an awkward board state where that can't happen, then you need to be creative on how you build around. So, like, Silvala is one of the few CEDH decks where it's not entirely solved because how you close out the game is essentially up to the Brewer. And I feel like Kinnon's going to end up falling into that category. I think those are great points. I think the variability, you're, you're spot on, the variability of searching the top, or looking at the top five with Kinnon versus searching for what you need with the birthing pot effect of Vanifar is a great different differentiation distinction there. I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, that that will definitely keep it more compelling long-term than uh, Vanifar in that regard. So, good stuff. Well, we'll go ahead and get those uh, cards recapped as part of the notes from the cast as well in the Conviction Gaming Discord. And uh, George, I think we'll turn it over to you. Let's, let's talk about limited. What's your, just to kind of preface this. So, a couple casts ago when you came on for the first time, we were talking just a little bit about an intro and you were giving some background. You told me that you were a top 100 limited player. And then and then here recently you were posting in one of our chats about your Modern Horizons on MTGO, your Modern Horizons limited drafts on, on MTGO the last week or so. And you were just killing it. It looked like you were, you were taking down drafts left and right, getting trophies, going, uh, what is it, 9-0? and 0 or, or I don't know what you have to go to, to get one of those trophies exactly. Uh, I'll let you clarify that. <laughs> You're good, man. Yeah, no, you just go three and zero. So trophies are uh, leagues. Essentially, it's just like a regular draft for all intents and purposes. They treat it like an eight-man draft. Uh, if you three and zero, you get a trophy, and you end up getting uh, six packs and and the trophy. So, but yeah, it's Modern Horizons was extremely successful for me. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I actually, when I started, I was really bad at limited. Had some friends that uh, taught me, you know, just the basics, how to get better, and over time. Uh, yeah, I ended up as a top 100 limited player in the world. Um, before they got rid of ELO ratings, uh, my highest limited rating was 2050. So uh, I would say limited is my favorite format by far. Uh, and I don't know, I just really enjoy uh, both sealed and draft. To me, it's, uh, it's very challenging and uh, I have a lot of fun. And so given your skill sets there, you know, we 
uh, I just think it'd be great to hear what your immediate reactions are out of Ikoria from that standpoint. The one thing that's kind of, you know, I don't know, just not great with the whole coronavirus situation is there's not going to be as many paper drafts, most likely, at least in the near term here. But people are going to be playing this a lot on arena, I would imagine. That's where the, the primary drafts, uh, craving to draft will likely be filled, if I guess. And so kind of curious to see what your take is on some of the key cards that will be found in those limited drafts and, and you know, what you're seeing play out here. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I, I've just did a little rundown here. Um, um, so my overall take and just looking over the, uh, you know, fully spoiled set now is that, uh, honestly, bears are not as good uh, in this set. Um, normally, you know, your two mana two twos are going to be good. You're going to have a lot of aggressive strategies. I just don't see that in this. I see a lot of uh, three toughness creatures at three mana. So a lot of one threes and three threes that are just going to stall the board. Uh, so I don't think, you know, the aggressive strategies in general are where you want to be. Uh, and looking over it, and this isn't just me as a control mage, but I think blue is the best color, I, I think, by a pretty significant margin. Uh, it has everything in the set. It's got bounce spells. It's got good counter spells. Um, it's got some very strong rares and uncommons. Uh, it's got looters. So literally everything you could want as a blue mage. Um, I think card advantage is going to be much more important in this format than speed uh, because the mutated creatures can get you know, out of hand very quickly. Um, so I, I would think that, you know, and you'll see in some of the cards I go over, uh, I think the instant removal spells are going to be very, very important in this format. Um, yeah, so that's my general thoughts on it. And then let me go over some cards for you guys. Um, so we'll, we'll go color by color and I'll start with white. Uh, let's see, the first one I saw was fight as one. That's a one mana instant. Uh, choose one or both. Target human creature you control gains plus one plus one and indestructible until end of turn. Uh, and or target non-human creature you control gets plus one plus one and gains indestructible until end of turn. Uh, for the cost, you can't beat what it does. Uh, especially the fact that you could potentially get a two for one for one mana. You really cannot ask for anything better than that. I think it's one of the better uncommons in the set. And as far as I can tell, it's the best, what I would call a trick. So you know, in combat, it's a good way to absolutely wreck your opponent. And it's going to go great in those decks where, you know, you've got the humans kind of teaming up with the monsters. Um, the next one that caught my eye was the white Mythos. It's Mythos of Snapdacks. Uh, two and two white sorcery. Uh, and it's Cataclysm. It's each player chooses an artifact, creature, enchantment, and planeswalker from among the non-land permanents they control, then sacrifices the rest. If black and a red was spent to cast the spell, you choose the permanence for each player instead. So if you're in Mardu and you cast the spell, it, it's going to end the game. You're going to have your best stuff left on the board, and you're going to leave your opponents you know, with essentially nothing. Uh, so I think this is one of the best rares in the set, not only for limited, but also potentially for constructed, and I don't think a lot of people are talking about it. And that's, you know, it's probably a good thing that's flying under the radar, but I really, really think that's a, one of the more powerful cards in the set. Um, the other one in white that I saw, I think it's the third best uncommon in the set, is Swallow Hole. It's one white mana sorcery. As an additional cost to cast the spell, tap an untapped creature you control. Exile target tapped creature. Put a plus one, plus one counter on the creature tapped to pay the spell's additional cost. So for one mana, you're exiling their biggest creature, their best creature, and you're making one of your creatures uh, bigger. So just an insanely efficient and just really strong removal spell, and I think it's one of the best uncommons in the set. 
Uh, moving into blue, uh, the two that really caught my eye, I think they're both rares. Uh, one is Shark Typhoon, which I know we've already you know had some discussion about. It's a five and a blue enchantment. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create an XX blue shark creature token with flying, where X is that spell's converted mana cost. It also cycles for X1 and a blue, and when you cycle it, create an XX blue shark creature token with flying. So this is one of those cards that's a fantastic late game card. Um, you can build your deck around it, just trying to get the six mana, where you know you can either play it as an enchantment and start making massive flyers that your opponent's probably not going to keep up, be able to keep up with, or you can just uh, get it to a point in the game where you can cycle it, draw a card, and potentially make a blocker at instant speed. I think it's a fantastic card, and it's going to see a ton of play both. I think in both uh, limited and constructed. Uh, the other one that really caught my eye was Voracious Great Shark. Three and two blue for a five four flash. When it enters the battlefield, counter target artifact or creature spell. Uh, so once you get to the mid game, you're going to get a five four and you're going to counter one of their best spells. It's a fantastic value. And, you know, realistically, it's going to be a two for one, uh, potentially more if you're able to recur it, say, if you're in blue black or if you're able to bounce it with, you know, some blue spells. Um, the next one I want to talk about moving into black is Blood Curdle. Um, I think that this is probably the best common in the set. Three and a black and instant. Destroy target creature. Put a menace counter on a creature you control. And the reason I think it's the best card, the best common in the set is it's just uh, flat out hard removal. Four mana is actually a, a decent cost. And what's going to end up happening a lot of time is your opponent's going to mutate onto something maybe two or three times. And this is going to be a complete blowout. Not only are you going to, you know, destroy something that's been mutated on, but you're also going to put a menace counter on one of your creatures that has, you know, either maybe say lifelink or death touch or some other ability uh, that's going to make it hard to block and set up another two for one or more uh, with your best creature. Uh, the next one in black, I think is just solid removal spells. One of the other best commons in the set is just dead weight. Uh, you know, reprint one black mana for an enchanted creature gets minus two, minus two. Just super efficient. Um, you know, I, I don't think you can go wrong with having a few of those in your deck. I, I, once again, I don't think it's as good in this set as others because there's not as many bears, but it's still going to get the job done. Um, honestly, you know, looking at my list, I think black is probably the second best color in the set, and it's very close to blue because there's just a lot of powerful black cards. Uh, the next one I want to talk about, the one I'm excited about for both constructed and limited, is Dirge Bat. Uh, two and two black for a three three with flying and flash. Uh, whenever this creature mutates, destroy target creature or planeswalker an opponent controls, and it mutates for four and two black. Uh, this card is just going to be fantastic at any point in the game. Uh, if you're able to mutate on one of your creatures, you're going to set up a massive flyer that's probably going to end the game in short order and kill their best creature. Or you could just play it as a four mana three three uh, with flying. So. Just fantastic value. Probably my favorite card in the set, honestly. Uh, next, we move to Grim Dancer. I think this is either the best uncommon in the set or the second best uncommon. This card's absurd. Uh, it's one and two black for a three three. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you uh, it enters the battlefield with your choice of two different counters on it between Menace, Death Touch, and Life Link. I think most of the time. Uh, unless you really need to gain life, you're going to be best best off just using Menace and Death Touch. And that way you guarantee yourself a two-for-one in combat. Uh, this card's fantastic. It's right on curve. Very efficient three-drop. And it's definitely, like I said, I think it's one of the best uncommons in the set, if not the best uncommon. 
so that, that's it for black. Uh, moving on to red, there's only a, a couple of cards that caught my eye. And actually, I want to go over real quick what I'm thinking about, the Planeswalkers. Uh, so Luca actually, I think, is by far the weakest Planeswalker for limited. Um, you know, the plus one is really, really good on a stalled board. I don't know how you know often you're going to run into that. The minus two on him, I don't think you're going to use often and to go over. The what plus one is exile the top three cards of your library. Creature cards exiled this way gain. You may cast this card from exile as long as you control a Luca Planeswalker. Unless you're running, I don't know, 17 to 20 creatures in your deck, that's not going to be very good because in general, unlimited, 16 to 18 of your 40 cards are lands. So the odds that you're going to hit all three creatures are uh, pretty small. So not a big fan of uh, Luca. Conversely, I think Vivian is the best Planeswalker in the set from a limited standpoint. Uh, three and two green uh, with three loyalty. You may look at the top card of your library at any time. You may cast creatures from the top of your library. So essentially, she's a green future site, which is already absurd. Uh, her plus one is create a 3-3 three, three green beast creature token. Put your choice of a Vigilance, Reach, or Trample counter on it. So she protects herself. And then uh, her minus two is when you cast your next creature spell this turn, search your library for a creature card with lesser converted mana cost, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. So typically, you're going to have at least, what, five or six mana, because she costs five. So if you cast a five drop, then you get to what, look at your library uh, for a four cast and put it into the battlefield. So just insane value uh, from Vivian, and she's going to be really, really hard to beat if the board's even close. Um, Moving into the red cards that impressed me, and there weren't very many. I, there's a couple of decent uh, instant removal spells, but uh, I, I think in general, red's one of the weaker colors in the set, to be honest. But it does, to me, it has the best limited card in the set, and that's with the, uh, the red Mythos. So Mythos of Badrock. It's two colorless and two red, a sorcery. Mythos of Badrock deals five damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures and or planeswalkers. If a blue and white mana were spent to cast the spell until your next turn, those permanents can't attack or block, and their activated abilities can't be activated. Uh, this card is just absurd. It's going to usually be at least a two-for-one, sometimes a three-for-one. And uh, those are the cards that you want to open, both in draft and limited, uh, are the cards where you're going to gain a massive card advantage. And this is exactly the kind of card that I'm looking to open when I play. Um, Let's see, and that's to me was really the only red card that really caught my eye from a limited standpoint. It, like I said, it's definitely got you know several common and uncommon uh, decent removal spells, but in general, uh, I don't see it being as good as some of the other commons in the set from a limited standpoint. Uh, moving into green, green has a lot of interesting cards to me. Uh, the first one that caught my eye is a, a good uncommon removal spell, Charge of the Forever Beast. It's two colorless and a green mana sorcery. As an additional cost to cast the spell, reveal a creature card from your hand. Charge of the Forever Beast deals damage to target creature or planeswalker equal to the reveal card's power. Uh, so, you know, it's three mana. You have to give away some information. Uh, but in general, you're going to kill your opponent's largest creature uh, for three mana. And that's the other thing people have got to realize. Not only card advantage wins games, but if you're trading up, if you're trading a three mana sorcery and killing your opponent's five or six mana creature, usually in the long run, that's going to work out for you. Uh, the next card in green that I wanted to go over was Channeled Force. Oh, maybe that's in, uh, maybe that's a, uh, sorry, a gold spell. Yeah. So in, in green, 
green's got you know just your efficient beaters um you know essentially stuff that is uh so what i'm looking for you're going to cast it on curve you know three mana three threes four mana four fours uh so just a lot of efficient creatures i think green's probably the second or third best color probably third if i had to rate them actually i, I think blue's the best black and white are are fairly even at number two green's probably the third or fourth there and then red to me is the weakest color uh looking at it from a limited standpoint uh moving on to the gold cards now uh channeled force uh this is kind of a build around card and one i'm excited to play with it's two colorless a blue and a red instant as an additional cost to cast the spell discard x cards target player draws x cards channeled force deals x damage up to one target creature planeswalker this card is going to be a game breaker uh, in the mid to late game. Uh, it's going to typically, I would guess you're going to discard at least three or four cards. Uh, it's fantastic for getting rid of excess lands, dealing with your one of your opponent's problematic uh, permanents, and then obviously drawing three or four fresh cards from your deck. Uh, I foresee this card being a card that wins a lot of games on its own. Uh, the next gold card I wanted to go over is Dire Tactics. Um, I think it's right there with Grim Dancer as the best uncommon in set. Uh, just super efficient. One black, one white mana, instant. Exile target creature. If you don't control a human, you lose life equal to that creature's toughness. Uh, you know, even minus the toughness, granted, that is a real drawback or can be a real drawback in this format where you're going to have some massive creatures on the battlefield. But two mana to exile your opponent's best creature, it doesn't get much better than that. Super efficient. Uh, removal spell and you're going to see a lot of it uh in limited and probably in constructed as well uh the ultimatum i think is the best in limited and probably in constructed as well is inspired ultimatum the jeskai ultimatum uh so two blue three red and two white sorcery target player gains five life inspired ultimatum deals five damage to any target then you draw five cards uh this is one of those cards that if you cast it just like cruel ultimatum uh before it which uh, was what uh, Grixis? This card is just going to end the game. You're, you're going to deal five damage to any target. So typically, killing your opponent's best target, gaining five lives, which is really probably what you want to be doing when you're casting the spell. You're probably going to have to really set your deck up and sacrifice some speed uh, to be able to cast this card later in the game. So gaining five lives probably going to buy you even more time. But it's drawing five cards that you know after killing your bonus opponent's best creature and drawing five cards if you can't win the game from there then you know there's not much else you're going to be able to do against uh other decks so one of the better rares in the set but it takes a lot of setting up to uh you know make it effective uh then we've got quartzwood crasher uh, i think this card's going to be one of the best rares in the set especially in green red two colorless two red and a green for a six six with trample when one or more creatures you control with trample deal combat damage to a player Create an XX green dinosaur beast creature token with trample, where X is the amount of damage those creatures dealt to that player. So it, it's not gonna it's not gonna be hard to cast this guy on potentially turn four or turn five if you're in green red. And you know, if you don't deal with him immediately, he's just gonna end the game. He's gonna make multiple, probably at least three three trample uh tokens, and then you know, the game is gonna end shortly from there. Uh, and then the last card I kind of thought was exciting is uh, Skycat Sovereign. It's a blue and a white for a 1-1 one, one with flying. It gets plus one, plus one for each other creature you control with flying. 
Pay two colorless, a blue and a white as activate ability. Create a 1-1 white cat bird token with flying. Uh, I think this card's fantastic and limited. It's going to take over games and then them quickly, especially in the late game. Uh, it's a great mana sink, which, you know, I don't haven't seen a ton in this set. So I, I just think it's going to be a really, really solid limited card. Um, those are all the limited cards that I'm really excited about. Um, I think it's going to be a fun set for limited. There's lots of different ways to build your deck. You know, there's looks like you can build a cycling deck. You're going to be able to build human deck. You're going to be able to build flash deck. So there's all kind of like tribal themes along with kind of mini tribal themes between cycling and flash and trample and some of the uh, other cards. So I hope that gives you guys a good overview and uh, tells you uh, some of the cards that I'm most excited to see and play with in the set. Uh, that was excellent. Yeah, that was um, just a wonderful breakdown of all the different color schemes in the in the set. And and George, it's very obvious you know your stuff when it comes to living it. So thank you for sharing that. Um, okay, so yeah, no, I, I I'm it's awesome having you here and and that you're contributing this information for us. It's it's definitely you know it's definitely not something that Jesus and I are as familiar with. We're obviously more EDH players, so to have that limited. Uh, side and and I know a lot of people are interested in that format from especially from a brewing standpoint, right? Limited is all about brewing. It's all about your skills and creativity. So to be able to share that information and breakdown is excellent. The next topic we want to touch on, we're we've got about ten ish minutes left, ten to fifteen minutes here. So the the next topic we want to talk about, and this will just be kind of a roundtable commentary, um, you know, one or two minutes reaction for each of us, and I'll start. But we want to talk just about the sensory overload that kind of happened with all these spoilers and give our reactions to it, hear what each of us have to say. And um, certainly open to hearing about the community, you know, Conviction Gaming, how are you guys all held up as well during this kind of blast of new sets and new cards all at once. It was very unique in the sense that we got two spoilers for two different sets at the same time. It was a little confusing. That was my reaction. It was, uh, I had a hard time deciphering last weekend, specifically last Friday, when they made the cutover from the first handful of the Coria spoilers to the Commander 2020 spoilers. I actually tagged everyone in here that uh, crop rotation was printed in standard because I saw it and I had just been looking at a spoiler for a Coria, and it turned out crop rotation is actually reprinting commander 2020 and i didn't even notice the cutover so that was a little confusing for me i had a really hard time with burnout with the amount of cards we were seeing all at once i i did enjoy the aspect that for one we didn't know things ahead of time too much there were a couple of leaks that came out right as spoilers started within a couple of days of spoilers that i heard about anyways they might have been out there for a while but uh, they ended up being right, but it was nice to to know that for the most part, the spoiler season was a surprise for us. I was a little overwhelmed personally, especially as what I would call a content creator and, and trying to keep up with all the moving parts. I think Conviction Gaming or Discord did a tremendous job. I'm so like thankful for just everybody in the community because everyone, for those of us who weren't on top of it at, at one particular hour or one particular day or whatever, we had others that were and so that was really exciting and, and i appreciate everyone here but that was kind of my reactions uh jesus I'll, pa I'll pass it to you next to give your you know your quick take on that
it was a headache, but it was a fun headache. I, that's kind of the best way I can summarize it. There were, like, it'll be like one hour I'm waiting to see the next, uh, well, the next uh, spoiled card. Because I'm like, oh, what can I brew in EDH? Uh, what, well, what's going to be good in Standard? What's going to be good in Pioneer? What's going to be good in Modern? And then two hours later, I'm just laying down... <laughs> Watching. I saw a great a Twitch stream because I am mentally dead and don't want to like, magic cards. Do you again. ever wake or have you been waking up since the quarantine and having some days where your burst of creativity, you feel like you could build a house and the next day you feel like you can't, can't even get out of bed? And I, I totally related to that. So, how about you? What's your take? I, I felt the same as you, Chris. And I guess kind of in between. I was really excited. Obviously, a lot of these look cool, but the fact that, to your guys' point, they released so much at once. To me, it was it was sense of your overload in that pack. Was like, oh my god, there are so many cards that you know. From an EDH standpoint, you you really got to sit back and try to take a few minutes and figure out, okay, what am I really excited about? Okay, what goes well with this? Oh, and like the first ones that I think we identified collectively. Uh, were with the cycling commander were both decree of silence and decree of annihilation and man i i can't say it enough about the group but you guys hit it out of the ballpark uh those were fantastic uh you know i was able to speculate on a few of them and did well on both of them but they were just there were all kinds of cards you could speculate on uh but to me not only was a sensory overload there were so many different things that it's like what should you actually you know what you do you think about buying? What you do not think about buying? I've got a random pile of stuff that I bought that I'm not necessarily proud of, but when I looked at stuff, you know, I thought, hey, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, the one that I guess I regret the most, and because I remember we talked about a little, and I guess we all missed the boat, was Skullbriar. Because I know I initially even said, I was like, okay, well, you know, it's only two mana, and it says it keeps counters, uh, you know, wherever it goes. Didn't say what kind. And with this set releasing all the new counters, I was like, oh, well, you know, maybe that's interesting. Um, but in general, man, I think as a group, we hit it out of the park. We identified so many unique cards way before anybody else, I think, started talking about them. And I'm talking hours uh, before it was brought up on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, in general, Chris, I, I was with you and uh, God, I, I, my, my head exploded. It, and to your point, Jesus, it was a good thing. I was glad. I was after you know all the crap that we've been through the past few weeks it was really nice to just see new cards be excited to be able to play with them and brew about them and think about all the fun things you could do but once again i mean between a new set and commander cards we're talking i don't know probably what four or five hundred cards give or take so it was definitely yeah. a lot to take in in such a short amount of time wish that they would have expanded this out over another week and and done a little bit of a slower roll somehow i don't know what that looks like but that that is i 100 percent with you there george i just i felt like i was so excited for these spoilers and then they started and by like saturday or even sunday of last week when we had already gotten some Ikoria stuff and then commander stuff was just flying in commander 2020 it was like a it was like a blur you were getting 30 cards a day and I just couldn't keep up with it. And it was a weekend on top of that, which is unusual. Usually they don't do spoilers except Monday through Friday. So that just the whole thing was, it was hard to keep up. It was, it was definitely overwhelming. Hopefully everyone else in here found the discord, you know, the conviction gaming discord useful. And, and if you're listening to this and you're not in our discord, def definitely come join us. We, 
I'm going to make my weekly pub for. We definitely have a great time in here talking both brewing and finance. We identify cards we want to play with. And a lot of times, if you're a financer, those are the cards that often also are great for speculation. So we're seeing a lot of synergy on that front. And anyway, yeah, so good stuff. It, it has been a whirlwind. It's been fun. It has been very fun. I appreciate everyone in here keeping my sanity in check, particularly last night, Thursday. Uh, I, I had a rough day at work. And anyway, uh, appreciate everybody here for all you're doing. So last topic we're going to pivot over to is just a quick rundown uh, I want to share just a quick update on some thoughts regarding coronavirus with regard to Ecoria sales and what this could do, what it could mean for the paper versions of Ecoria. We've seen in the last probably, gosh, it's probably been about the last four years, maybe even five years now, going back to the expedition sets, Battle for Zendikar, which I think, I can't remember if that was 2015. I think it was 2015 when that started, where... Every standard set, just about every standard set, has had a reason to buy the set beyond just plain standard. And what I mean by that is there's been a lot of different lottery ticket type items, whether it's expeditions or you know buying collector boosters. There's been a lot of reasons to open product uh, pushed out by Wizards over these last handful of years. And with Ikoria, that's no different. There's, there's the Trinome lands that they just rele released yesterday. There's all these awesome alt art cards, the box toppers. There's so many reasons to buy packs of Ikoria, not to mention just the general power level and excitement of the, all these new cards. So I think people will be buying this set. There's no question about that. But what I wanted to share was just some thoughts around, my thoughts anyway, around the impact that not having LGS is open is going to have on the overall price of Ikoria down the road. And, and when I say down the road, I'm talking past rotation especially. So, I mean, this thing's going to be around for another 18 months before it'll rotate in September 2021. But I think if you look shortly after that rotation happens, maybe three to six months after that, there's going to be some cards in here that could be worth some real money. Um, kind of looking back at like a, a set like Magic or Origins, which was a little bit lesser open compared to all of its peers in that same time frame. And Jace Vrin's Prodigy, which was played everywhere at the time, was like an $80 card. I could see. I don't know if that'll happen to that extent, but I could see that Ikoria, the multi-format All-Stars, having a higher price floor long-term because I think that without drafts going, we're going to see less paper copies in the in the secondary market as a whole. And, and as coronavirus continues to keep us quarantined and keep paper drafts out of the equation, that number continues to get more interesting and appealing. So anyway, a couple of reactions on that. You know, Jesus, George, uh, Jesus, I'll start with you. Do you have any thoughts on this front and, and what you think maybe the impact for the value standpoint is? As a brewer, it very much annoys me. Um, I think once uh, the well, once the whole COVID situation blows over, you'll see major spikes. Well, once these cards hit, uh, hit stores and hit shelves, you're going to see major spikes because people are going to want to just pick up these cards, brew right away, and then due to lack of supply, those prices are going to stay high, which is going to suck, in my opinion. It's not going to be fun for any of us, well, for any of us trying to brew. It's not going to be fun for those people specking, because you're not going to know when or if the prices are just going to drop like a brick. And I think that's just really annoying on that front for me. I think you're spot on. Not much else to say other than that. 
I just kind of have a sense of irritation. Well, just this overall sense of irritation with the situation. I, I think you're spot on with those with that analysis. I think some of the cards are going to be a lot more expensive. Notably, the tri lands I think are going to be a lot more expensive than they need to be, unfortunately. Uh, and I think it's going to be a byproduct of of coronavirus. To be honest, they're just not going to get drafted as as often. So we're going to be relying on stores cracking boxes once once the print runs are even available. Right? We don't even know when that's going to happen. Uh, the delay is into May now, but we're going to be relying on them to crack singles for a while until LGSs can reopen. So, George, what, what, what's your take? I, I, I agree with both of you guys. I, I think what I've been saying, what I think we're going to run into these first, I'd say at least three months is there's going to be a massive shortage of supply, uh, you know, because to my knowledge, the earliest we could even potentially get any of these cards here in the U S is what mid May. And even then, uh, I believe some of the printing distributors are closed down right now. So I think there's going to end up being a backlog. And unfortunately, uh, pretty simple economics, um, when s demand is greater than supply, it's going to result in higher prices. Um, this is a set, honestly, hindsight's twenty twenty. I really regret not potentially pre-ordering a lot of these cards. I mean, we've seen Fiend Artists and I think started sub $10.00. And I think last I looked, uh, it was pre-ordering at some of the uh, sites for 30 and it's still selling at that price. So on a lot of these cards, if you were able to pre-order as soon as, uh, you know, the card got up on, the, on their websites, you're, you're going to make a killing. Not only, I think, short term, but in the next three to six months as well. Because what's going to happen here, I think, so Ikoria is going to come out. People are going to be playing it online. Um, online prices may actually end up being really high for uh, a little while as well. The other thing I think that's going to be interesting to see, Chris, that I literally just thought about right this second, is what kind of an impact um, our MTGO price is going to have because that may be one of the only ways for people to get some of these paper cards in a semi-timely manner is by uh, redemption. Uh, because, you know, my understanding, if, if I have heard and seen everything correctly, Asia's going to get most of the product at first. In fact, they're going to have it for, I don't know, over a month before we ever get it over here. So, and I don't know how much um, English product they're going to get. So I could see if there's a format defining mythic, if there's an euro in this set, it could easily be 50, 60, $70 plus for, in my opinion, for the next month or two. Um, I don't think that's going to last long term. I, I think, and I hope what will happen Eventually, demand will catch up to supply, but my concern is by the time it's starting to, you know, that's when we got, I think, core 2021 comes out in, what, June or July? So there's not, the set's only going to be out for, I don't know, maybe a month, month and a half, Icoria, here in the United States, and semi-readily available. So I do think there could be massive shortages in some of these cards, and short-term, you, you could see some absurdly high prices, and uh, unfortunately for uh, players, that that's not going to be a good thing uh, for people that pre-ordered and got in low and bought a ton of copies. I mean, I think they're going to make a killing. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, these first three months I think are going to be really, really rough. And then we're just going to have to wait and see uh, between what kind of impact Icoria has, and then uh, when rotation comes here in the fall, you know, what that new standard looks like. We may have another uh, spike then as well. Um, and I think 
same thing seal product is going to be really high as well because people are just going to be trying to get their hands on the product and i don't think there's going to be nearly enough out there for the next uh, three to six months to satisfy the demand yeah so so one of the points that i've heard as a counterpoint to all this is that you know there aren't going to be paper events right so standard isn't going to be running in paper uh it's going to be all through arena most likely and then similarly you just mentioned mtgo as another alternative for really all the formats i would say that is that is the counterpoint to demand, which is to say that people won't be, or these cards won't be in demand as heavily out of the gates as they would have been with all those formats running normally. Uh, I, I think my counter to that is that EDH players have been very resilient in these times, as we kind of predicted. And, and we've seen a lot of, myself included in this, we've seen a lot of players shift to streaming games with each other and, and playing paper magic. So there's going to be a demand inherently from EDH for a lot of these cards. The Ikoria set is clearly another one tailored to EDH players in a lot of ways. The cards are very EDH-centric and exciting for EDH. And I say tailored to it in the sense that I guess you could say that about any card or any set. But there's a lot of cards that in this set I think EDH players are going to be excited about and, and feel the need to, to purchase. And and so that's gonna it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. I feel I feel bad for all of us who are players. Jesus, you and I are big time EDH players and are gonna want a lot of cards out of the set. And and, and really everybody who might be listening to this who's a player, it's gonna be tough to get cards at a reasonable value out of Ikoria. The the prices are certainly gonna be challenging. And if you can be patient, this is the best time to do it because don't what I, what I would encourage strongly, especially knowing that the only format that's really seen play in paper right now is EDH on webcams, at least from my experience, I would encourage people not to overpay. Find a way to be patient. I'm sure your friends are, in many cases, going to be in the same boat. And so talk to your friends, your play groups about proxying in the meantime, but don't feel compelled to spend $15 on a trinome land as an example, which likely in a normal scenario without COVID-19 would be, you know, probably a three, $3 card. This is, this is unusual circumstances and that demand is going to push those things a lot higher. So really want to encourage that for people uh, and make people aware of that at the end of this cast. Hey guys, well, Great cast. We're, we are right at an hour here. Uh, it's been a great time. Uh, George, thank you for the limited recap. We, we got some fans of yours asking for lists. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll circle back on that offline and, and would love to get you, um, you know, get your limited thoughts that you shared here documented for folks because you gave just a tremendous amount of information there. Hey, Zeus, thank you. Uh, always great talking brews and, and talking EDH commanders. Thanks for having us. Yeah, man. Appreciate it as always, Chris. Wrap it up. Um, you can find Conviction Gaming at our website, convictiongaming.com. You can find us on Twitter, ConvictionMTG. And if you're not in the Discord, you can find a link to that on our website or our Twitter's profile. Thanks, everybody. Have a great evening.